Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shomler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 494. Uh, we have to start with this today. This is, um, I can't record a podcast and not talk about this topic. So Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson has been suspended, or it would appear he's been suspended for six games. Former federal judge Sue L. Robinson reviewed everything and made that decision. She stated that he violated the NFL's personal conduct policy. Uh, she ruled that he deserved a six-game suspension uh, but there wasn't enough evidence for an indefinite suspension. And so, honestly, I'm still kind of just waiting to see what happens. There's like a three-day period where the NFL can decide to go with the six-game suspension or do something different, uh, different from the recommendation they were given. Um, so we're, we're like, it's very early in this decision, but it, we're, we're still like kind of waiting to see what happens. But it looks like Deshaun Watson was given a six-game suspension. And uh, I am surprised. It is fewer games than I expected. Uh, the NFLPA Players Association made an announcement uh, yesterday, Sunday, saying that whatever the federal judge will decide, they will support. Which to me was like, oh man, it must be really bad. They must be getting out in front of it. It must be like a two-year suspension or something crazy. I think actually they knew it was going to be kind of a slap on the wrist and we're afraid of getting backlash. And so they're getting out in front saying we support it, whatever it is, uh, which, Hey, their, their job is to sue. Their job is to support the players. I, I guess, I don't know. Um, what do you say about this one? Right. Deshaun Watson getting a six game suspension feels like too little. I'm also not a lawyer. I don't have all the evidence the same way they do. I know that he approached uh, over 60 women about being his masseuse uh, at some point, and it appears like he, my, from my outsider's perspective, it looks like Deshaun Watson tried to have sex with a bunch of massage therapists. Um, and in comparison to other NFL suspensions in the past, it's like, wow, that's all he gets for that? For that? I don't know. Uh, I... All I can really say to you today about this Deshaun Watson suspension is that it makes me uncomfortable. The whole thing makes me uncomfortable. I uh, would not want any woman in my life working with him. I've got an older sister. I've got, I'm seeing someone. I've got lots of friends that are women. I uh, would not want any woman I care about to be in a room alone with Deshaun Watson. That's all I can really say. Um, I think we live in a world where money talks and Deshaun Watson is a superstar quarterback. And uh, unfortunately, uh, and in a way, again, it makes me uncomfortable to say this, but I, I, it's awful and true is that if you are someone that the league can make a lot of money off of, um, the rules are different for you. Um, and so I, I don't know, people get really angry when you say that people are, very staunchly defending Deshaun Watson. Uh, I get it, their accusations. There's nothing proven. I, I hear you on every account there. 
but that's a lot of accusations. If you want to read about Deshaun Watson, it's deeply uncomfortable to me that he's playing this year in the NFL, that he's the highest paid person in the NFL, uh, that a lot of stuff about Deshaun Watson makes me uncomfortable. Although I can acknowledge he's an incredibly talented quarterback. And we live in a society where talent gets rewarded. And if you can make a lot of money for a league, they want you in it. As someone who covers the NFL, as someone who is a fan of football, like I said, it makes me uncomfortable that this is the world we live in. Um, there's not much more to be said there. I, Hey, man, be, be very careful how you treat people. And, and like, if, if Deshaun Watson is truly actually innocent, which I don't, I don't, I think, he, like I said, I, I think what happened was he tried to have sex with a lot of people in a workplace environment, which is deeply inappropriate. And, and coerced them using his power as NFL player. Let, let's say all of that out loud. Let's get it out there. That's what I think happened. My, my theory, my belief. Um, and what I would say to everybody is, hey, hey, young men with money, but really a- anybody, be very careful when you're in a room alone with someone. And uh, especially if the door is locked, that's terrifying to me. Uh, and if they're just accusations, I don't know why he was ever alone in a room with them. He should have always had someone with him. If they're not accusations and that really happened, that's horrifying. And um, I don't know, man. This is not why I cover football. I I cover football to talk about football. I love, I can't wait. We're about to hit the NFL season. Games are going to happen. It's going to be really fun. This is the dark side of covering professional sports that I don't like at all. And like I said, the entire situation makes me uncomfortable. The fact that he's playing this year makes me uncomfortable. The fact that he only got a six-game suspension makes me uncomfortable. Uh, and there's not much more to be said there than that. All right, how about a story that uh, we had to st- – like I said, I have to talk about that. I can't ignore that story. It's one of the biggest stories in the football world right now. Um, but I don't have much more to say beyond that. So, like, we did it. We talked about it. Let's move on. Here's something that excited me. In the last few days, two young, talented NFL receivers got paid. In Seattle, on Thursday, DK Metcalf got a three-year contract extension worth $72 million with a $58.2 million guaranteed contract. Uh, Sorry, what am I saying? $58.2 million fully guaranteed there uh, and a $30 million signing bonus. That was on Thursday. DK Metcalf got paid. Then on Sunday, 49ers receiver Debo Samuel got a three-year, $73.5 million deal with $58.1 million guaranteed. I love to see them get paid. This makes me very happy. Debo Samuel is 26 years old. He was a second-round pick in 2019. DK Metcalf in Seattle is even younger. He's 24 years old. He was also a second-round pick in 2019. It is not a coincidence that these guys got paid within a few days of each other. They kind of fell like dominoes, just say one after another. Uh, Both of them were doing something I like called holding in, meaning that they were going to training camp, but not actively participating in the physical side. They were at meetings, they were in the building, but they were not practicing and putting their bodies at risk without a new contract. And I think that's the way to do it. That's the way to don't hold out. Don't skip training camp. Be there, be engaged, be around everybody. 
and make a clear boundary. I'm not going to put my body at risk until you pay me, but I'm here. I want to be here. I want to be part of this football team. Let's get a deal made and, and get it figured out. And I'm so glad both of them got paid because they were getting paid way, way below their worth. And that's kind of frustrating uh, when you see a guy on a rookie contract who is a star in the NFL, getting leaned on heavily, used a ton, not getting paid their worth. I understand where they were coming from. I supported them from day one wanting a new contract. Um, last year, Debo Samuel in San Francisco was used as both a receiver and a running back. He ran the ball 59 times for 365 yards and eight touchdown runs. He also had 77 catches for 1,405 yards and six touchdown catches. So he was highly productive, uh, was used in a lot of different ways, and I like seeing that guy get paid. Uh, in my opinion, DK Metcalf was massively outperforming his rookie deal. In 2020, DK Metcalf had 83 catches for 1,303 yards and 10 touchdowns. That was two years ago. Last year in 2021, his quarterback, Russ Wilson, got hurt, missed a couple games, and DK still had 75 catches for 967 yards and 12 touchdowns. These are two young athletes that were highly productive, well beyond the value they were getting paid. Uh, the, the, their value was way higher than the amount of money they were getting paid. And again, both guys are well-deserving. You love to see it. Now, uh, one little wrinkle here. DK Metcalf gave a quote about Seattle. He said, here's a quote from DK Metcalf. He said, I was going to be here. As much as I bluffed to John, John Snyder, the Seattle general manager, as much as I bluffed to John, I wasn't leaving. Just to let y'all know, I wanted to be here. I wanted to play here, and I'm glad we got something done. It's a good quote for fan service. You tell Seattle, hey, Seattle, I love you. I wanted to be here. I wanted to make a, a deal happen. Uh, and I'm sure that's true. I'm sure he wanted to be in Seattle. I It's home. You don't want to move. You There's no state income tax in Seattle. Um, I'm sure during contract negotiations to not be able to say, hey, I want to be here, by the way, was kind of rough. And so it's nice to be able to come out and say that. Um, I worry, though, with that quote, that the the word choice of bluffing, the quote, bluffing is going to get blown out of proportion. They're going to say, oh, you shouldn't have admitted that. You shouldn't going to hurt you in future negotiations. I'm sure you're going to see DK Metcalf bluffed to Seattle. DK Metcalf finally can be honest. You're going to see headlines like that all over the sports world. Um, blown out of proportion again, because I think the reality was he just felt like a, a lump in his throat, wanting to be able to tell everybody, hey, I like it here. I want to be here. And he felt like he couldn't because he was negotiating. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm really glad that both DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel got paid well-deserving and... Uh, both making good money, and I'm happy for them. Now, here's what fires me up today. I keep seeing rumors of a potential trade sending veteran quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo from the 49ers to Seattle. By the way, that would be a trade within their division. First of all, the this potential trade doesn't make sense to me. I hate that it's out there. Uh, I don't believe it's going to happen. It's it's slightly infuriating to me, actually. Uh, people like the idea because Seattle is basically the only place Jimmy Garoppolo could go and also compete for a starting job immediately. Uh, now, 
Seattle should not trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. He's a known entity. He's a solid quarterback. He's fine. He's not great. He's not horrible. He's solid. You have Jimmy Garoppolo, and you probably go, if Seattle brings in Jimmy G, you go 8-9, and nine, maybe 9-8 nine and eight with him, and that's fair enough. Okay. But that doesn't help Seattle at all because you need to find out if your young quarterback, Drew Locke, is any good. Drew Locke is 25 years old. He's either going to show you this year that he's really good and then you continue to build around him and use your draft picks to help him. Or if he's bad, Seattle's going to have a bad year, have a high draft pick. It can use that draft pick to draft a quarterback in the next NFL draft. So the only way moving forward for Seattle right now is to figure out if Drew Locke is good. Wasting time with Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't help you. You got to figure out your next superstar franchise quarterback. I think it's very possible that Drew Locke could do well in Seattle, actually. He kind of got screwed over in Denver. He had a defensive head coach, Vic Fangio, who never really gave him a great chance. In my opinion, I think Vic Fangio, 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 whatever he says his name. I, I honestly still to this day don't really know how to properly say that guy's name. Vic Fangio, Fangio, I don't know. Um, he was kind of a curmudgeon. He didn't trust the offensive side of the ball, very similar to Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. And they even fired an offensive coordinator that I liked, Rich Gangarello. They had a guy that I thought was awesome, who I thought was good at putting quarterbacks in a good situation play calling wise. They fired him. They brought in Pat Shermer. Pat, Pat Shermer with the New York Giants. He had a young quarterback, Daniel Jones. It didn't work. Didn't work with Daniel Jones. It didn't work with Drew Locke. And like I said, I think you can make a strong argument that Denver was not a good situation for Drew Locke. Now in Seattle, Drew Locke is throwing to Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf at receiver. They've got a young stud tight end, Noah Fant. I think there is a chance that Drew Locke will do very well in Seattle. I'm not saying, I'm not pro- proclaiming that he will. That's not a prediction, but I'm saying there's a, there's a pathway here for Drew Locke to be good. One of the alternate realities, one of them is Drew Locke being a good quarterback and playing well. And I'm open to that possibility. I think that would be very exciting. Now, so like I said, that's the the way forward for Seattle right now is to figure out how good is Drew Locke. Wasting time with Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't help you better your franchise right now. Now, the Jimmy Garoppolo rumor started when a report came out that the Seattle Seahawks were having discussions about trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. And uh, this really irritated me. <laughs> it's I I have a I'm pretty I'm pre- a pretty pre- a patient person. I I don't get irritated very often. This one got me. This is one of the stories, and I talked about it recently. Uh, you know, J- John Middlecoff was talking about this, and I put it on Instagram, and he posted my story on his Instagram story. Um, here's the point. It was annoying that people thought Seattle was, you know, going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo because having a discussion about Jimmy Garoppolo is not the same as targeting him. It's your job as an NFL scouting department. Anytime a player becomes available, every team has a conversation about potentially trading for them. That's their job. You have to consider everything. 
And the fact that people, like I said, thought that having a conversation about Jimmy Garoppolo is the same as targeting Jimmy Garoppolo was really frustrating. Again, that's the job. (laughs) You go to your job, you do your job, they go to their job. Their job is to evaluate players and decide whether or not they should try to make a move for them. Every player that becomes available, every team has a conversation about. And I, I just really found it irritating that people misconstrued that and went, oh my gosh, can you believe Seattle's going to trade for the 49ers quarterback? What? No, that's not what it means. And so not only does it not make sense for Seattle to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, it'd be a step not only sideways, but backwards. Because like I said, your best case scenario is you either find out, hey, Drew Locke isn't very good. We suck. Let's draft a quarterback in the first round next year. Or, hey, Drew Locke can play. Let's build around him. That's the plan, as it should be. You don't benefit by having an average year with an average quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. It'd be a step backward and less progress than you're making now. So not only would it be a bad idea, I also don't believe it's actually going to happen. I think this is a report that got blown out of proportion, and this is why I'm irritated. So Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't make sense to be traded to Seattle, and I don't think they're genuinely interested in trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. So um, I I had to get that out. I've been writing about that. It's been bothering me. There you go. All right, here's a sad story. Tampa Bay center, uh, the the Buccaneers center, Ryan Jensen, got hurt. He hurt his knee. His left knee got carted off the field the other day. Uh, Let me Google this right now because as of the time of me preparing the podcast, I was still waiting on an injury update. We might have one now. Ryan Jensen injury update. Let's find out. Do we know? Still nothing. It's feared to be season ending, potentially. So that's Tom Brady's center maybe out for the rest of the year. Very early in training camp. The speculation is at minimum it's going to be a couple months with him. It's it's a really bad knee injury for um, one of the better linemen in the entire NFL, Ryan Jensen. And it's potentially a really big blow to a very good Tampa Bay Buccaneers football team. Tampa is loaded. They've got a good defense. They've got Tom Brady at quarterback. They've got Mike Evans at receiver. Chris Godwin is back from an injury at receiver. They just added tight end Kyle Rudolph. I like him. He's got some good years left, I think, especially with Tom Brady. I'm believing that Tom Brady is going to raise the value of a veteran player and make him better. Uh, I, You know, they brought in Julio Jones at receiver. If anybody can make Julio Jones look like he used to, um, it's having Tom Brady at quarterback. And Julio Jones, let's talk about Julio Jones signed a one-year deal with Tampa. He's 33 years old. He turned 33 in February, by the way, so he's a younger 33. He uh, got traded to Tennessee last year, and it didn't work out well. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why Julio Jones wasn't a home run with Tennessee last year. I had high hopes, but he only played in 10 games and uh, 31 passes for 434 yards and only one touchdown. Not a good year from Julio Jones last year, a guy who I love. I admire Julio Jones, and at one point, I used to think he was the best receiver in the NFL. But here's the thing. If you told me a couple years ago that Tom Brady would be throwing passes to Julio Jones, my head would have exploded. I would have been so excited. And like I said, I'll repeat it again. It's weird to me that 
his time in Tennessee was a letdown. I don't know why that was. Was it the quarterback wasn't very good? Was it the system wasn't very good for him? Was he just hurt? The obvious thing to believe from that is that, well, Julio Jones must not be very good. He must be washed up. He's too old. He can't play. I'm, I'm skeptical of Julio Jones going to Tampa. I don't know that he can play. I don't know that he's going to be very good. But I'm also hopeful. My fingers are crossed and I want it to go well. As a huge fan of Julio, a guy who admires him. I want it to go well, and I think it might. And I certainly want to at least acknowledge that Julio Jones is now going to Tampa on a roster that's really good with a team that has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. We're potentially, it's kind of like in, in basketball, actually, you know, John Wall went to the LA Clippers where they got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And you're like, well, hey, the third best defender is now guarding John Wall. And that's a good matchup for John Wall. Well, if you got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, your, your third best cover corner then is, is potentially guarding Julio Jones. That's a good matchup in my opinion, I think, still. Uh, it's not quite that simple. That, that's an oversimplification of that. But my point is that maybe having good receivers around him and Tom Brady could remind the world how good Julio Jones once was and he could give us a little bit of really good stuff. And I, I certainly hope that is possible because I would love to see Julio Jones catching touchdown passes from Tom Brady and looking really good. That excites me a lot, and I have my fingers crossed. I am hoping for that. All right, it is now time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. It is where I read questions from the audience. If you want to write into the podcast, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler, patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally does help pay for everything and keep me alive. Uh, But a dollar a month, $12 a year, gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the podcast. Uh, By the way, that dollar a month I stretch really, really wide. I, I give you a lot of value. Not only do you get to write into Strong Opinion Sports, you also get to write into my other podcast, Zach Schaumler Talking, uh, and you get that podcast, Zach Schaumler Talking, early on Patreon. So uh, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. That's the pitch. Let's jump in. Joshua wrote in on Patreon. If I can find my phone, I had it somewhere. There it is. Oh my gosh. Can you believe it? I have all, I'm in the tiniest space ever, and I still lose stuff all the time, which is like... I guess that's a lot about me. (laughs) Joshua writes in and says, Hey, Zach, details came out that part of the Kyler Murray deal is that he is required to spend four hours on film study. Is this a bad look? And should fans of the Cardinals and him be worried that they had to put into a contract things he should already be doing? So this is a really, really fun topic, in my opinion. Uh, When Kyler Murray signed his massive... $230 million contract. There was an independent study clause in there that requires him to watch four hours of film a week. I should say required him to watch four hours of film a week because it was such a bad look. And it was a bad look for both Arizona and the player because it made Kyler Murray look lazy. And it made Arizona look stupid for signing a, you know, for giving a massive contract to a player who 
is not potentially watching film. If watching film is a concern of yours, you probably shouldn't be giving that guy $230 million. So Kyler got all defensive. Kyler Murray was like, it's disrespectful. People are doubting me, blah, blah, blah. And Arizona actually ended up removing the clause from the contract. Here is a statement that Arizona made in the wake of all that. They said, after seeing the distraction it created, we removed the addendum from the contract. It was clearly perceived in ways we never intended, and our confidence in Kyler Murray is as high as it's ever been, and nothing demonstrates our belief in his ability to lead this team more than the commitment reflected in the contract. They're like, yo, we paid him $230 million. That should speak for itself. And uh, how dare you create a distraction and be questioning why we put in there? I, I have no idea. Look, I, I don't know why there's a there, there at one point was a clause that required Kyler Murray to watch four hours of film a week by himself. It's hilarious and weird because the reality is that watching four hours of film a week is nothing. I watched significantly more than that as a high school quarterback. Like, four hours is, that's what Tom Brady watches like in a day after practice. Um, so it's weird it's in there. I don't know if they were micromanaging him. I don't know if they were trying something new with a contract. I don't know if, I don't know what it was. I don't know why it's in there. I have a hard time believing Kyler Murray doesn't watch any film. Uh, I'll, I'll, although it's possible, I guess, if Kyler Murray really isn't watching four hours of film a week, that's terrifying. Now, what it could be happening is that he goes to, you know, watch film with Cliff Kingsbury, the coach, and he's watching film and meetings all the time. So he's doing it all the time and maybe going home and not watching stuff by himself. I don't really know. Uh, but certainly this was a very weird story. One, I haven't ever seen anything like that. Um, I, I heard the you know, the, the stories of Jamarcus Russell not watching film are legendary. Look them up sometime if you want to. But um, I've got a hard time believing Kyler Murray doesn't watch any film. And if he's not, that's insane. And the Cardinals are insane for having to pay him. But it's just kind of weird. The whole thing was a bad look. I don't know why they... I just don't know why they put that in the contract. I'll never really understand. And, and maybe someday we'll, we'll get more on that story. Like maybe in 10 years from now, they'll be like, remember that time? But I think honestly... It's going to be forgotten 10 years from now. We're never going to find out why they did that. Um, but it's uh, it's always bad when you give a player that much money and then include a detail that makes him look bad publicly. I, I, it's No one won there. It's very weird. And I, I, I'm just shocked. I, I think it's just bizarre that any of that happened. All right. Brody wrote in on Patreon. Brody said, hey, Zach. I hope all is well, my friend. Was wondering if you would mind sharing about some players you were super high on and low on coming into the NFL drafts that completely proved you wrong in a good or bad way. And why you thought that way about them. Thanks, and have a great day. Um, I don't know. Players I was high on. Uh, I thought Gardner Minshew could play, and he, he showed that, I thought, early on in his career. And... Um, you know, there was a period where Gardner Minshew was the only quarterback to uh, win a game in Jacksonville. I thought that said a lot about him. Despite the the mess around him, he did pretty well. Um, but I don't really want to talk about players I've been right about. I'm more interested in the times I was wrong. And the most famous moment I've ever been 
wrong in my show history. The most wrong I've ever been on Strong Opinion Sports was when I talked about Justin Herbert coming out of Oregon and going into the NFL. And it's not just Justin Herbert. It's also, I think, Josh Allen a little bit. Josh Allen and Justin Herbert were both insanely physically gifted, like really talented, big, fast, tall, strong, impressive quarterbacks just from a physical standpoint. But they needed polish. And in the same vein, in the same vein, I was also wrong about DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf has a similar story. He's a great athlete who I thought was unpolished coming out of college, coming out of Ole Miss. And the thing I learned in all of those scenarios, in the NFL, you simply have better coaching. And a player who's really gifted, who works really hard, that gets good coaching is going to turn out well. Every time. And I think the coaching at Oregon wasn't very helpful to him. And I think having college classes was a bit of a distraction to Justin Herbert because he's a great student, had a 4.0. Um, and I think a guy like that, Without school is probably better off because he can solely focus on football. Justin Herbert was that way. But there was tons of evidence that Justin Herbert was really well-driven, worked really hard. There was lots of evidence that Josh Allen worked really hard. Remember, he only had uh, one offer to play Division I football was Wyoming. He had to go play junior college, then reach out to a bunch of colleges. No one wanted him except for Wyoming. He went to Wyoming and worked his ass off and became the quarterback he is today. Look at DK Metcalf's body. Like, Clearly, that dude works hard. Um, and I don't think I valued that side of them enough that, hey, they might have problems. There might be moments where they're lacking polish. But what they're going to do is get good coaching, work their butts off, and become really good players. And those are three players, Justin Herbert, DK Metcalf, and Josh Allen, that um, I underestimated coming to, into the NFL. And I tried to learn from. I mean, that's why... You know, Josh Allen and Justin Herbert really changed my perspective on drafting quarterbacks who are really, really physically gifted. If you're really talented and work really hard, I think you're probably going to work because you're going to get good coaching in the NFL. That is why I believed in the 49ers drafting Trey Lance number three overall. He's going to be their starting quarterback this year. I remember thinking, that's a great move because look at the past. Look at how talented Josh Allen was. Look at how talented Justin Herbert was. They had problems on film in college, but with good coaching, they got better. And I, I feel like the same is going to be seen now with Trey Lance uh, and the 49ers this year. And uh, I don't know. Th th those are three players that really changed my perspective on evaluating players. And, you know, some stuff you see in college is scary. But look, man, a guy who can make throws that no one else can make and works really hard, and is very driven. I'll take that over a guy who's very physically limited and, um, you know, has, has clear, definite limitations. I mean, I, I love, uh, what's, I'm trying to think of a good example. Kyle Allen, or Taylor Henneke. Taylor Henneke is an even better example. Taylor Henneke is a quarterback I really respect. He plays in Washington. He's awesome. He works really hard. He's a good dude. He rallies the troops. He's a good leader. But Taylor, Taylor Hennig is never going to be a incredible quarterback because he's physically limited. Doesn't matter how hard he works; he's always going to have to. He's going to have to rely on accuracy and timing and have lots of help from teammates around him. 
Josh Allen and Justin Herbert can do stuff that no one else can do. And I would say the same about Trey Lance. Um, and that has way more value than I think I used to ever uh, acknowledge. All right. Uriah writes in. Uriah says, do you plan on going to Mariners games soon now that they are really good again? Um, Going to a Seattle Mariners game is on my radar for sure. I'm probably not going to go to a Mariners game uh, because it's a two-hour drive there and back, so four hours driving total. It's an all-day affair. Um, if I had more money and more time, I would probably just go up there, get blasted drunk, uh, rent an Airbnb, stay the night. But the reality is it's now my busy season. It's August. Um, and if I'm going to take the day off, I'm, I'm not taking the day off to go to a Mariner game. I'm sorry. There are so many things I'd rather do with my family or uh, with the girl I'm seeing or whatever than go up to Seattle and watch a Mariner game that I'm probably not going to make it up to Seattle to watch a game this year. But it's on my radar. I'm also not a Mariners fan, right? Them being good isn't that attractive to me. I'm actually still a little bit bitter to them about the past. But I'll, at some point, probably next year, I'll go to a Mariner game. And happily cheer for Seattle, because why not? They're my local team. And uh, even if they're a bad baseball team, I don't really care about the game as much as I care about getting a couple beers, having a hot dog, being with my friends and family. That sounds fun to me. It's a good environment to hang out with people, I guess, is my point. Um, but like I said, if I'm going to take a day off at this point right now in August and relax, I'm, a Mariner game is like way down the list of activities I would want to do right now. So, no, I'm probably not going to go to a Mariner game, but my heart is with them. I'm rooting for them. It's cool to see them doing well. I love Julio Rodriguez, and uh, I think you can tell if you listen to the podcast for years, I had searing hatred for the Mariners, and it's clearly not where I'm at now. They're softening my 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 cold little heart, and uh, I like to see that. All right, Connor writes in and says, Hey, Zach, a simple question, but a fun one. If you had three football wishes, what would they be and why? By the way, you can choose literally anything football related. Could be about your career. Could be about someone else's career, rules, college recruiting, the NFL draft. I think you get the point. Anyways, loving the show as always. Keep up the good work. Connor, I love this question. Um, can I actually start by saying this? I, I would really, as a, maybe this is a good prompt for a Patreon show is uh, me asking you guys what your football wishes are. Because that would be really fun. Like, I want to hear your guys' hypotheticals, your guys' dreams, the stuff you guys wish had happened or wish could happen in the football world. Any, anything, any kind of wish you can think of would be really fun to talk about in the, uh, on the podcast. So uh, I think at some point I want to turn this around, actually, on the audience and hear what you guys have to say about this topic. I got, I actually have six dreams I'm going to talk about. Um... Or, or wishes, maybe, is a better way to put it, like you said. The, the first three are about other people. The last three are about myself. So, um, and the ones about myself are a little more personal, and, and I'm hesitant to share, but I will. Um, but let's talk about the, the big ones first. Wish number one. I would have loved to see Carson Palmer or Philip Rivers win a Super Bowl. Like, especially... Carson Palmer, man, I really admire and really like and thought was way better than people realized. And uh, 
I, I still to this day wish I could have seen Carson Palmer win a Super Bowl. He had a shot. He got close. But um, that makes me sad. So that's wish number one. One of those two guys I, I wish it had. We would view Carson Palmer so differently if he'd won a Super Bowl in his career. I, mean, I really believe that. Um, I thought he was hamstrung by a bad organization in Cincinnati. It's a different Cincinnati now, apparently. Um, but man, I, oh man, I so badly would love to see one of those two legendary quarterbacks, Philip Rivers or Carson Palmer, win a Super Bowl because I thought they had careers worthy of that, even if they never reached it themselves. Uh, now, Gardner Minshew is, is a, a person I want to share a wish about. I, I wish I could have seen Gardner Minshew get a team around him to build around him. Get a team to build around him, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I really will always believe that if you'd put Gardner Minshew on the Dallas Cowboys last year with CeeDee Lamb and, and you know, um, Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott and that good offensive line and a pretty good defense, I really think Gardner Minshew could have won a lot of games last year in a situation like that with a really good team around him. And uh, that's a wish of mine. I, I would, if still ever possible, I would love to see Gardner Minshew, who right now is the Eagles' backup quarterback, do well. I'm excited to watch him in the preseason. I love the guy. He lives out of an RV. That's incredible. I, I so admire that. Way to be different. Who cares what people think? Do what you think is right and best. Um, and, and you never know. Maybe I could see him someday replacing Tom Brady in Tampa. Because Gardner Minshew, with that defense, that offensive line, and Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, a good tight end, another good receiver, like that's loaded. And Gardner Minshew, I really believe, would do very well with a good team around him. And then my, my third football wish is that I, I, I wish for Sam Darnold to succeed. I love Sam Darnold. He's a guy who gets a lot of hate, who people enjoy making fun of. Sam Darnold works really hard. And I think, I don't think people really understand what the spotlight is like. Um, what kind of pressure there is, what it's like to be scrutinized constantly. Um, I, I think Sam Darnold is much better than people realize and was given a horrible, horrible situation in New York with the Jets. And then I don't think he was put in a good position to succeed in Carolina either. And maybe I'm making excuses for the guy at this point, but I wish, if I have a football wish, I wish to see Sam Darnold succeed somewhere and do well. I would love to see that. I believe in him. I believe he still could. Um, and I, I, man, I so, I so hope someday we get to see that because I don't know that we will. But that's another example. Hey, when Tom Brady leaves, could Sam Darnold go to Tampa and be the starting quarterback there? I just, I think that the view of Sam Darnold does not reflect where he really actually is as a player. Um, and that that's a bit shameful to me. Now, how about my three personal football wishes? Um, number one, I was once uh, very close to making the Elite 11, which would have it would have completely changed my life if I'd made the Elite 11. And I don't mean the top 11. I mean like the, the event going to the opening and being one of the top 20 quarterbacks or whatever who compete to be in the Elite 11. Uh, I was on a field with 
Ross Bowers, uh, Brett Rippon, um, some kid who went to, he was awful. He went to USC and then Arkansas. And I, I was better than him at that, on that day. Like I kicked his ass. Oh my gosh. We were doing drills at the university of Oregon. Uh, and I look, I had one of the best days I've ever had in my entire life throwing the football. I was on fire. I'm not being delusional. I'm being serious. Like I really killed it. I was, I had a better day than Brett Rippon, who's an NFL quarterback who was incredible at Boise state. I don't know that I would have had the career we had if I'd gone to Boise State. But I know on that day, in particular, I was better than him. I killed it. Best day I've ever had in my life at a camp. And, I, you know, they gave Ross Bowers an invitation to the Elite 11 that day. And there was one spot remaining. Brett Rippon did not get invited. And Trent Dilfer and I, were we were buddy-buddy all day. Trent Dilfer, the guy who makes that decision... In my pocket all day, knew my name, shaking my hand, high-fiving me, and, like, calling me out more than any other quarterback on the field that day. Like, he he was interested in me, and it was going well. And during 7-on-7, seven seven, there was one play where I—in high school, I was under—sorry, I, I was in the shotgun all the time, never under center. So I'm not used to being under center at all. We ran a play with a seven-step drop from under center, which— Never done that in my entire life as a quarterback, other than this one drill, this one moment. He wanted me to throw the comeback, and I threw the flat route. Flat route was kind of open, but so was the comeback. And Trent Dilfer told me, hey, Zach, I'm sorry, but we're, we need someone who's going to throw the comeback there to be in the Elite 11. We can't have a guy who's going to take the flat route and the check down. And I, I took that, and I said, yes, sir, and I, I didn't say anything back. I said, yes, sir, and I moved on. I took his rejection as an answer. And what I, if I could go back to that moment, best day of my life throwing the football, I'm on his radar right in front of him. I'm killing it. And I, he may or may not remember this moment, but I remember this vividly. Like, he, I, I, thought, I really thought I've got a chance at the Elite 11 here if I keep killing it. And I, was, I, I, would, I really believe I was the best quarterback in the field that day. Most accurate, most aggressive, best throwing on the run. Like, just having a great day. And when Trent Dover told me, we want someone who can throw that comeback, I said, yes, sir. And that felt like rejection. And what I should have said was, yes, sir. Can I do it again? Can I show you? Maybe he would have said no. But I will always regret not asking. I will always regret not asking for a redo. Saying, hey, I can make that. Because I could have made that throw. I just was uncomfortable. I'd never taken that kind of drop before. Never ran that play before. With a redo, I would have made that throw and, and killed it. And I didn't, and I regret, will always regret not asking Trent Dilfer for a second chance. Saying, hey, you're wrong. Let me prove you wrong. Let me do it. All he could have, he could have said no, but at least I would have said, hey, at least I tried. And I can't even tell myself I, I tried to fight hard enough for my dream. And that's 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 sad to me. Um, you know, I also have other... If I could go back, football wishes of mine. I wish I'd walked on to a bigger school. I uh, I went somewhere that I thought I could play immediately, a D3 school. I should I hated D3. It was more about school than about football. And I wanted to be a football player, not a student. I should have gone to a bigger school and walked on. Um, and then my biggest wish, if I could go back, and my, my advice for any young quarterbacks is go to college camps, man. Go throw in front of college coaches, you know, University of Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State. They all have 
a college camp where individual camps, you show up, you throw in front of their coaches, you work out with them. And if you're good, you're going to get their attention. And I didn't know that at the time. I was poor, didn't want to drive there, didn't know what I was doing. If I could go back, I would go to college camps, individual camps, and throw in front of college coaches. And I didn't realize that. And I thought, I just, I'm going to have great film. It'll be enough. And uh, I regret. Those are my regrets, frankly, as a, as a quarterback in my past. And if I could go back and have three wishes, I would undo all of those decisions and do different things in those moments. Okay, Balin writes in on Patreon. Balin says, hey, Zach, simple question for you this week. As a fan of the game of football, not as someone in the sports content world, but as a fan of football, what are you most excited about this year? Could be how a particular player will perform, storylines, rule changes, will referees finally be decent, etc. Uh, he's got a bonus I'll read in a minute. Um, Balin, all the quarterbacks, man, are what really, really gets me fired up for football season. Um, not only, by the way, the college quarterbacks, who are going to be really fun to watch and fun to evaluate and see how they do this year. There, there are so many college quarterbacks. I got to sit down and make a definitive list, actually. That's a good idea. I keep talking about that, but I keep, I need to just make like a list of the top whatever and just really do, that'd be a fun video and a great list. Um, but Matt Ryan and Indy, Gets me fired up. How is Matt Ryan going to do? Is he washed up? I don't think so. I think he had some bad stuff around him in Atlanta. Um, I think he is a pro's pro that I really respect. And I'm excited to watch how he does with the Colts. Um, Zach Wilson with the Jets. Zach Wilson is immensely talented. We know some of his habits off the field. If you know what I'm saying, that was a pretty fun story. But I like Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's incredibly talented. And I believe in him. And I, I think... He's going to have a good team around him in New York. I don't know they're going to win a lot of games, but they're going to be competitive and fun. I believe that. Uh, Mac Jones in New England is poised to be better than ever, and I think going to have a great year and really impress a lot of people. Uh, Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville finally has a good coach, Doug Peterson, putting him in a good position to succeed. Uh, we get to figure out how good Trey Lance is in San Francisco. I'm a big believer in Trey Lance. I look at Justin Herbert. I look at Josh Allen. I think Trey Lance is along the same vein as them. Insanely physically talented and going to do incredible stuff when he gets his opportunity. How good is Justin Fields in Chicago? I don't know about that one. I worry about him. I worry he's not getting a lot of help in Chicago. I worry that um, he's not being supported enough. But he certainly is talented and I, I'm hopeful for him. Can Tua prove himself? Tua Tungavaloa in Miami. Throwing to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and a better offense with Mike McDaniels, a fun coach who's got good play design. Finally, by the way, Tua has an offensive coach who believes in him. Same with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. Got Kevin O'Connell, a coach who is going to design a system to work for Kirk and not fight against him, but trust in him and believe in him. Can Kirk Cousins be better with a coach who believes in him? I think so. Throw into Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Handing the ball off to Dalvin Cook. I mean, I there's potential there in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins. Russell Wilson in Denver. That's going to be fun. I can't wait. I think they've got potential to win a Super Bowl this year, which is, like, insane. Drew Locke is in Seattle. Can he play? I don't know, but we'll find out. Um, the quarterback situation in Carolina is interesting. Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. Who's going to play? Who's better? I don't know, but th there's a lot of drama, a lot of fun there. 
Uh, there's so many quarterbacks that have something to prove this year. You got Carson Wentz in Washington, uh, Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, even Lamar Jackson actually in Baltimore. People, you know, he he's trying to prove that he deserves a massive contract. And I don't know, man. I, I love all the storylines that these quarterbacks provide. And it's just, as I look around the football world, the college football, the NFL, the amount of quarterback storylines this fall, it's unbelievable. And uh, I I so miss football. I hate the offseason. I get really, really tired of like, hey, did you know that this retired quarterback said this? And you're like, ugh. Did you know that this guy got paid this amount of money? Did you know that, you know, this, this quote happened and this trade happened and this guy might get traded and this amount of, I'm like, I don't care about contracts. I don't care about rumors or quotes. I care about games and I cannot wait for football to be back so that there's something I'm way more excited to talk about because it's been a rough off season. It's been one that I've had a harder time engaging with than ever before because it feels so dumb and meaningless. I'm like, man, the other day, Big Ben gave a quote saying like, you know, the young generation is a bunch of divas and blah, blah, blah. And then I saw a bunch of people saying, you know, Big Ben is wrong. Here's why. And telling Big Ben what to think and how to say. It's like, who are you to tell Big Ben what to believe? Who are you to tell a grown man what to believe? Who are you to, why are we so worried about how other people are behaving? I just, ah, I don't care. You know what I care about? What's going to happen week one? Who's going to be good? Who's going to be bad? Can Zach Wilson play? Can Tua prove himself? Is Drew Locke any good? What's going to happen in Carolina? Matt Ryan, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz. I get so excited. I love the position of quarterback. And this has been the most brutal offseason for me in my entire life, in my personal life, off the field. I called off an engagement. I moved away from Hawaii like... It's been good and bad and weird and a roller coaster. And I just miss football. I just really want to watch football again. And we're so close. We're like a month away. And I, I'm working on predictions right now. And I'm like, I don't even want to do predictions. I just want to get to football season. We're so much close. I just want it. We're a month away from what I want to talk about. And I just want to get there, man. I, I so badly cannot wait for football season. And I think a lot of people will agree with me when I say that, but I just, what gets me excited? The quarterbacks, man, all the storylines, who's good, who's bad, who's not, why, why is, why are they good? Why are they not? Why are they bad? Why are they good? I don't know, but, uh, we'll find out. And, uh, I just can't wait to see it this fall. It's going to be awesome. Oh, Balin writes in, by the way, the second half of the story says bonus. What'd you think of the Toronto Blue Jays? Absolutely ravaging the Red Sox last week. I'm not a baseball guy. I didn't watch the game, but impressive game still catch my eye. And 28 to 5 is certainly something. I saw that game. That was wild. Um, not much more to say about that, I guess. Just it looked like me playing my friends in MLB the show, getting annihilated. <laughs> um, Daniel writes in and says, Number one, are there any future Hall of Fame wide receivers currently playing in the NFL? P.S. I know this is kind of late, but I think it's cool that you and John Middlecoff interacted that time. I really like both of you, even though y'all have different personalities. I think you both do a good job of being relatable and bringing a human aspect to sports coverage, unlike fake talk show hosts, LOL. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, are there any future Hall of Fame receivers currently playing in the NFL? I don't know. It's 
there's no clear obvious ones. Like at the end of Larry Fitzgerald's career, for example, when Larry Fitzgerald was close to retirement, it was like, yeah, that guy's a future Hall of Famer. Surefire, no problem. There's no one like that right now. Um, maybe Travis Kelsey, the tight end, is probably in that conversation. Uh, and Julio Jones, if he can have another year or two that's really good, is in that conversation as well. Potentially Devontae Adams uh, or DeAndre Hopkins, maybe, with a couple more good years. The guy that's probably... There's probably two guys that are young that are at the beginning of their career that if ha- they have the careers I think they could have, could definitely become Hall of Fame receivers. Uh, Justin Jefferson in Minnesota and Jamar Chase in uh, Cincinnati both have potential to have the kind of career that could be close to a Hall of Fame career. But overall, there's not anyone obvious to me that might be a Hall of Fame receiver. I've named everyone I think is in the conversation or has potential to eventually become in the conversation. And that's really it. Because for the most part, I'm like, ah, no, not really. Like I said, there's no obvious one. No Heinz Ward, no Larry Fitzgerald, no uh, Calvin Johnson. And the Hall of Fame is and should be an exclusive group of people. So we shouldn't hand them out like it's candy at Halloween or something. I mean, you got to be really selective. And uh, like I... I almost thought Cooper Cup, but I, I don't think Cooper Cup's a Hall of Fame player. I think he's just a really good player. He's awesome. So, no. Not not really. Uh, Caleb writes in and says, Hey, Zach. The NFL preseason is so close, and football is almost back. I wanted to know what experiences you had with the preseason. Have you attended any practices or fan events? Have you ever been to any games? Excited to hear your team previews before it all starts. Um, I've never been to any event related to the NFL preseason. I've only ever been to one NFL game even. I went to the Patriots at Bengals in 2019. <laughs> a long time ago now. A lo- it's been a couple years, like three years now. It was Tom Brady's final year in New England. I went and saw uh, him play in Cincinnati, a city I love. So I've never been to a preseason game, never been to training camp. I should probably look into driving up to Seattle for training camp uh, for a practice. That would be fun. That would be pretty cool, actually. And maybe that's a way to sneak in a Mariners game is you go to training camp and a Mariners game and then come back and whatever. That's that's possible. I might do that. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. If I can figure out how to... My canopy, by the way, I ordered a canopy for my truck to put a bed back there. And, like, I'm going to... My whole plan has been to live in my truck and drive around the country... Well, my canopy was supposed to get here on July 5th. It's August 1st. (laughs) It's been a while. It's very late. I have no hope in sight for when it's going to show up. Um, And I I, I wouldn't mind, like, camping out in Seattle for a day and going to training camp or something. Like, living like a bum, like a dirtbag guy. That sounds fun to me. Like, do do an urban camping trip in Seattle and go into training camp. Like, I love that thought. But look behind me. Oh, there's no canopy still. And I'm I'm irritated about it. I can't I can't tell you how much it's been frustrating to me that I ordered a canopy to live out of because that's my crazy idea. And it's been two months since I ordered it and I still don't have it. And again, haven't even I've called and they're like, has it even shipped yet? They're like, no. And I'm like, great. I I love, love supply chain issues. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. Good thing we have no fiberglass in our country. Ha ha ha. Great. 
So, yeah. I don't know, man. Potentially. I, I could see myself driving up to Seattle for training camp. That would be really, really fun. Okay, Joshua asks what I think is a really interesting question. Joshua says, Hi, Zach. I was wondering who your favorite backup quarterbacks in the league are, but I wanted to break it down a little further. Who do you think are the best mentor quarterbacks and who are the most talented slash close to starting material quarterbacks? Um, so these are different things. Who's a mentor? Veteran usually has perspective and can help a young quarterback. And then who's a quarterback who's close to a starting caliber quarterback who can help you win if your starter gets hurt? There are, I think, four or five guys who I think are both, actually. Both have perspective and can help a young quarterback as a backup and can play a bit if they need to. Number one in that list, in my opinion, is Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor right now is the backup in New York. I think Daniel Jones is their starting quarterback, but if it's not DJ, Tyrod Taylor can play, play really well. And he's certainly not bad for a football team. He's going to help your young quarterback, Daniel Jones, a lot. So Tyrod Taylor is a guy who does both mentor and is starting caliber that I love a lot. He's probably the best backup in the league, quite frankly. Uh, I would put Nick Foles on that list, a guy who veteran presence, mentor, but can help you win if you need to. Clearly, he won a Super Bowl with Philadelphia that way. Jacoby Brissett, another guy, veteran presence, can play a little bit if you need to. I like him a lot. Case Keenum is one of those guys who can do both. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is probably the ultimate example. Once took the 49ers to a Super Bowl. Kind of right on the cusp of either one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league or one of the better backups in the league. He's right there, kind of the 33rd, 32nd, 34th best quarterback in the NFL. There's 32 teams, so he's right there, kind of right at the cusp. And um, Those are the guys who can do both really well. There are two guys, in my opinion, that are probably not um, so much a mentor as much as they are a guy who can play and win if called upon. Uh, Gardner Minshew is a guy who is a backup that, in my opinion, can play a little bit and can win if needed. Uh, Tyler Huntley in Baltimore is another one who Tyler Huntley has such a good spot right now. He's backing up Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. And he's got a similar skill set to Lamar Jackson. Can throw, can run, can run the, the the running style offense with the quarterback that Baltimore has. Probably the perfect backup for Baltimore, honestly. And and did pretty well in a couple games last year. Um, I think about, you know, another one, Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke in Washington is pretty good backup. Who Not really a veteran perspective guy, but I think could win a couple games if you ask him to and has done so in the past. Now, here are some guys that are... These guys are mentors. I don't really want them playing, but they're helpful to your starting quarterback because of their veteran presence, because of the advice they can give. The They're kind of like assistant coaches. They are very, very helpful to your starting quarterback. These guys are uh, Chase Daniel in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Love him. He was behind Drew Brees for a long time. He's a great perspective guy. Uh, Brian Hoyer. Uh Long-time Tom Brady backup. He's a good veteran perspective guy. Joe Flacco was once an NFL starter, once took a team to a Super Bowl. I don't really want him playing anymore. He's not very good in my opinion, but um, certainly as a backup can really provide a lot of value and mentorship for a young quarterback, a guy like Zach Wilson in New York, something like that. Um, 
Andy Dalton is a good backup who I think has a veteran presence. I don't want him playing. He sucks, in my opinion, but um, he's certainly been there, done that, and has good, valuable perspective that can help your young, younger starting quarterback. And then Matt Barkley in Buffalo is basically an assistant coach. I love Matt Barkley. Never done much of anything in the NFL. Career backup. But a brilliant, brilliant guy who's good for your starting quarterback. And is like an assistant coach, like I said, Matt Barkley is a good mentor uh, as a backup quarterback that I really admire and really like. Okay. Um, I am so hungry. I don't know if you can hear my stomach growling. I didn't eat breakfast. It's very early in the morning. That was a mistake. I should have had breakfast before I came out here to record. Uh, Devin wrote in on Patreon and said, Hey, Zach, straight up, what are your top three favorite routes to throw? Uh, Devin, my favorite, my, I like timing routes, frankly. I like stuff that require anticipation. Uh, so I love, I love, still to this day, throwing a corner route. Uh, it's an outbreaking route vertically. There's something about the corner route. When you throw it before the guy breaks and then they turn and the ball appears in their hands because you anticipated where they were going to be. I had a receiver named Nate in high school who I just a couple times, man, had the most brilliant connection with him where, like, he's slightly before his break, he's breaking down to turn. I put it out there on the corner route, lead him out there. Oh, my gosh, it's the best feeling in the world. And it takes a good receiver to be able to be running and the ball's already in the air. They got to find it in the air and go catch it. I mean, that what a skill for him. And I, I love throwing him. I love corner routes are incredible. I love wheel routes. Um, I like vertical routes in general. Like a fade is awesome. I think a wheel is even more fun. There's something about it, the wheel route that like the way it materializes, maybe it's because it's a little bit longer developing. I don't know. Uh, but a wheel route, I, I love throwing wheel routes down the sideline. I love that kind of throw. Um, usually, like, it's to a slot receiver with a, a linebacker chasing him, and you can put it over the top, and, oh, man, I, I love those kind of throws a lot. Um, and then a 10-yard out was probably my favorite route to throw in the world. I love 10-yard outs because it's, again, it's timing and accuracy, which I was so good at in high school, man. Like, I really, um, I had I worked really hard on the footwork and how to, maximize how to get the ball at quickest on a 10 yard out. And uh, we had a concept in high school where it's a choice route where if you, maybe this was my favorite route to throw actually ever of all time. For example, if the corner was really soft playing cover three, we just run a 10 yard out. They just, if they were going to give us a 10 yard out, we take it every time. Um, It was a choice route though. So like if, if you start stemming outside like you're going to run an out route and the corner bounces outside, you lean really hard on them and you kind of chicken wing them. You don't extend your arm, but you give a little chicken wing move. You lean back inside and you run a skinny post to out leverage the corner. I love that. Um, and then if they play press coverage, you get an outside release, you press and run a vertical, run a fade route. And we had that route. We played a school called Columbia river that had a really weird system for how they ran their corners. And, uh, we ate them alive with that choice route. I mean, oh my gosh, they had this weird technique. And so we probably designed it. It was before my time that it got created, but I'm, we probably designed that choice route to beat Columbia River High School. And uh, oh my gosh, there'd be so many times where they would take too big of a jump outside. You'd lean skinny, throw the skinny posts, or um, they're too soft, you throw the tenured out, they'd press, you throw the vertical. Like 
that's that's my favorite route to throw of all time is the the choice route um we were reading it pre and post snap and uh we worked hard on it it was so much fun and uh oh i loved it oh my gosh i i really really love because you're outsmarting the defense and it's just a blast enk writes in and says zach why doesn't anyone take team friendly deals Outside of everyone in Tampa, everyone wants to be the highest paid, and I don't understand it. As someone who has been poor their whole life, I don't know what the difference between $40 million and $20 million is. Do these players really not prioritize winning? Um, ENK, I'm with you. I've been poor my whole life, uh, and $20 million sounds good to me. I'm not complaining between 40 or 20 right? Uh, and I don't know why your, your quality of life is, is basically the same at that point. Um, it's hard to criticize guys for wanting to be paid though. Cause I would certainly make as much money as I possibly could. I, I get it. Um, I remember when the LIV happened, I supported them cause it's like, they're getting offered life changing money. Why wouldn't you take the money? Like, I just can't think of anyone who wouldn't take 20 you know, $250 million to go play in the LIV instead of the PGA. So it's, that's a parallel, but I, I, I can't, I find myself having a hard time criticizing guys who want to be paid lots of money. But there is a certain point where winning would be a factor in your quality of life to me. And I would want to make $20 million and win more than I'd want to make $40 million and lose. So, um, Yep, it. I hear you, and it matters to me. Carter writes in and says, I know that you've always tried to stay away from big sports media so that your opinion is not influenced, but have you watched that franchise guy's team rankings or any of his draft content? I know y'all are friends, and personally, I think his draft content is possibly the best available, and his team ranking is a great tool for getting to know just about everything worth knowing about a team. Um... I want to use this opportunity to just give a shout out to Marcus Whitman, that franchise guy. He works really hard. He works really hard. He's got an awesome wife and I respect him so much as a man, as a creator, as a person. We're, we're good friends. He texted me the other day. Um, I think people like Marcus Whitman deserve more credit in my opinion. Uh, have I watched a lot of his content? A little bit. I don't watch it now. Cause like I said, I, and I don't think he watches my stuff either. Cause we don't want to be influenced by each other. I like when my thoughts are mine and I know they're mine and I'm, I'm can be 100% sure that I didn't accidentally get that from somewhere else. So I don't, frankly, I don't watch any other sports content. I watch, I listen to a video game podcast when I listen to a podcast because I don't want to be in the sports world. I'm a, I just don't, I just, for my own sanity, I stay away from it all. But that's a guy, him and Brett Coleman are the two that I respect more than anyone. Uh, as far as their analysis and the way they analyze football. Um, and then there's another creator, Tom Grassi, man, is so creative. Like, Tom Grassi is such a, I want to say creative MFR is what I'll say. Like, the ideas he has for videos, I'm like, where did, where did this come from? You just think differently than other people. And it's so hilarious and so funny. So, um, my three favorite sports creators are Marcus Whitman, Brett Coleman, and Tom Grassi. I don't watch a lot of content. If I do, I'll watch them. I, I don't watch any really, so I don't I don't watch them either. 
but I see the titles of their videos and I see the work they put in. I would also consider all three of them friends of mine, but I think we're friends because I admire them. I, I reached out. I was like, you guys are awesome, man. And I, um, oh my gosh, those are people I just deeply respect and admire in the content creation world. And uh, they deserve credit. Uh, also, shout out to, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Brandon Perna. Hilarious. And then Urinating Tree is another one. I've talked to Urinating Tree. Been very nice to me before. Um, and then one more final shout out. He doesn't need a shout out, but John Boy Media. You know, John Boy, Jimmy O'Brien. Visionary. I love him. Oh my gosh. Actually, you know, if I watch any sports content, it's John Boy. Because there's, I'm never going to talk about anything baseball related. So it's, it's, there's no crossover there. I can watch it and feel free to enjoy it and not feel like I'm stealing content or accidentally getting influenced by someone else. So, um, yeah, John Boy Media is probably my favorite sports content creator by a mile. But Carter wrote in about, uh, Marcus Whitman. I had, I, I really would recommend you go listen to or watch the team rankings that Marcus puts together. That franchise guy, incredible content, really high quality and, uh, deserves a lot more respect. I just, oh, I love him so much. Like just a, a wonderful human too, by the way. Like I, I have met him a couple times and it's one thing to like someone on the internet. It's another thing to actually talk to them and not just on camera, but behind the scenes and on the phone texting each other. And he's just a lovely human. And I know for me, when I'm watching someone on YouTube, it feels good to know they're a good person. And so if you like Marcus Whitman, you can take comfort in the fact that that's a good dude. That's an awesome guy that I admire as a, as a man and as a husband too. And, uh, Oh, man. It's cool to, to be able to say that he's just a lovely, lovely person. Marcus Whitman. Love the guy so much. Same with Brett, by the way. Uh, I follow... Uh, how do I... I follow Brett Coleman's wife on Instagram, and she is awesome. Like, oh my gosh. I love their... Their family is beautiful. I love them so much. Oh, I love people, dude. I love rooting for other people. And uh, oh, Brett, Brett Coleman... You don't understand how hard Brett Coleman works, you guys. Like, people can't even fathom the amount of time and energy and effort and creativity goes into what he does. Brett Coleman is a, he's a filmmaker, frankly, who also knows football really well. And I just, I just admire them tremendously. Um, all right. By the way, been on the show before. Go, if you want to listen to my interviews with them, you can find them. They're old now, but, um... I just, I just love them. I love my friends. I love the people I support, and uh, they're awesome. Okay, we're going to end this show with Formula One. If you don't like Formula One, sayonara. I love you. I appreciate you. Have a good day. But uh, if you like Formula One, we're going to talk about it, and you can skip it if you want. On Sunday, we have the... Uh, I, can't even, ugh, I can't even talk. I need water, thank frankly. I'm a little bit rattled. I, uh, it's going to be 99 degrees today. It's very early in the morning, so... We're here before the heat, but I can already feel it heating up, and that's scary. Um, let's jump in. On Sunday, we had the Hungarian Grand Prix. I thought it was a fun race, uh, tense, very exciting. And uh, the story of the race, to me, is Red Bull. Max Verstappen started 10th on the grid and won the race. And Sergio Perez was 11th on the grid. He finished in 5th. Lewis Hamilton started the race in seventh. He finished in second. And, uh, you know, George Russell started in pole position, got on the podium. But th the big story, so Red Bull moved up a bunch. Ferrari during the race fell back a lot. Carlos Sainz started in second. 
Charles Leclerc started in third, and neither Ferrari got on the podium. And going into the race, this felt like a huge opportunity for Ferrari to outscore Red Bull. Like, oh, finally, hey, Ferrari needs some points. They need a win. This is the opportunity for them to do that. And here's what happened. Max Verstappen won the race. He went from 10th to 1st. That's a very impressive performance to me. Uh, Lewis Hamilton got 2nd. He started in 7th. He went from 7th to a podium finish. And then George Russell got 3rd. He fell 2 spots from P1 to P3 down the race. Again, here are the race results. Max Verstappen got 1st for Red Bull. Lewis Hamilton got 2nd for Mercedes. George Russell gave Mercedes a double podium with 3rd. Carlos Sainz got 4th. Sergio Perez got 5th. And Charles Leclerc, after starting in a podium spot, finished the race in 6th. And then uh, in the McLaren-Alpine battle, in 7th we got Lando Norris for McLaren. In 8th was Fernando Alonso with Alpine. In ninth was Esteban Ocon for Alpine. And the other McLaren was 15th, Daniel Ricciardo. No points for Danny, Danny Rick. Um, Ferrari got leapfrogged, man, uh, by both Red Bull and Mercedes. And not to beat a dead horse, literally and metaphorically, because Ferraris, you know, they're, I think they're, they not like a stallion, the horse, not to beat a dead horse, but, um, isn't, <laughs> it was another disappointing race for Ferrari. And I just, isn't it sad? Just like, oh man, they didn't have enough pace. They didn't have uh, a good enough tire strategy. Their tire strategy was lacking in my opinion. And I walked away from this race in Hungary truly believing that Red Bull and Max Verstappen are going to repeat as world champions. I just don't see it happening any differently right now. It would take a colossal failure now, a collapse of epic proportions for Red Bull to not win the world title and for Max to not win the world title. And I'm even convinced now there's a real chance that Mercedes can catch Ferrari and finish in second in the constructor standings. Because Ferrari, I've lost all confidence, man. They're falling farther and farther behind. Now, there were a lot of fun moments in this race. There was looming rain all day. Fun tire strategy was, that was interesting. On lap 30, there was a really fun battle between Charles Leclerc and George Russell for first. Uh, now, the, the race took a turn on lap 39. And I probably should have seen this coming all along because, you know, everyone's a lot of people started on soft tires. And Charles Leclerc's medium tires didn't go very far into the race. But on lap 39, Charles Leclerc went to pit lane and put on hard tires. And he'd already used, his first two tire compounds were medium tires that he'd already used. So he had to put on hard tires because you need to use at least two different tire compounds during a race. And with 30 laps to go, soft tires were not going to work for Charles Leclerc. And uh, he put on hard tires, but... That really limited Charles Leclerc's pace. He did not have enough pace at all, and he slowly fell farther and farther back on the grid. And so Ferrari had a, another failure, I would I would call it this you know this past weekend. And this time it was a mix of pace and tire strategy. Um, and you know rain created some drama on the final lap. Max Verstappen had a big lead in first by about eight or nine seconds on the final lap, and rain made it tense because. There was zero margin for error there. You can't afford to spin out. He had he had spun out once before earlier in the race and got very lucky. It didn't affect him really. Um, but on that last lap with it raining and 
there was a, a tense moment where I'm like, is he going to win? He still has got to finish this lap. And I remember being like, if he spins out, it's going to cost him victory and he can't afford that. So uh, there was some tension there. But for the most part, um, the, the, the focus of this race to me is that 10th to 1st for Max is incredible. Lewis Hamilton got on a podium again. Mercedes got a double podium for the second week in a row. And Ferrari is just disappointing. Ferrari, I just got no confidence in. Now, here are the F1 standings after Hungary. In the driver's standings, Max Verstappen leads with 258 points. Second is Charles Leclerc with 178 points. Sergio Perez is in third with 173 points. In fourth is George Russell with 158 points. Right behind him is Carlos Sainz with 156 points. And then sixth is Lewis Hamilton with 146 points. Look at how much ground Mercedes has gained on Ferrari. It's unbelievable. Here are the team and constructors standings. In first right now, you got Red Bull. 431 points, almost 100 points ahead of the next closest competitor, Ferrari. Ferrari's in second right now with 334 points. And then right behind him, about a race victory and a half away, is Mercedes in third with 304 points. They are challenging Ferrari and have a shot to overtake them. And then uh, fourth right now in Formula 1 is Alpine with 99 points. And fifth is McLaren with 95 points. Alpine is now ahead of and continuing to hold the lead over McLaren. The two most competitive battles right now in Formula 1 are Ferrari against Mercedes for second. And then Alpine against McLaren for fourth. It's fun. It's interesting. I'm excited for that. Um... It cannot be. The next race in Formula 1 is it's going to be a while. I, I forgot. We're, we're heading into summer break. So the next race is not until August 28th. We got a while. That's going to be the Belgian Grand Prix. And uh, so we got a long break now. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of football content coming up ahead because the rest of this month is going to be basically no Formula 1. Uh, the next race is the Belgian Grand Prix on August 28th, Sunday. And we will see, you know, with... Not many races left. The year is dwindling. Can Red Bull hang on to the lead? Can Mercedes pass Ferrari? And who will be fourth? McLaren or Alpine? Now, let's talk about Alpine real quick. Alpine star driver Fernando Alonso is leaving Alpine to drive for Aston Martin next year. A seat for Aston Martin became available when their driver, Sebastian Vettel, announced he's retiring after this year. And it's surprising to me that Fernando Alonso is leaving Alpine. He led their team's resurgence. Alpine, remember they changed their name from Renault to Alpine? And they've been building. Currently, they're in fourth in Formula 1. A big improvement for them. They're beating McLaren. Alpine has made a big resurgence. And um, for Fernando Alonso, going to Aston Martin feels like a step backward. I don't know why. It must be a lot of money and they must make him feel wanted apparently. And they're going to give him power and control, I, I guess. Um, but I certainly he's going to a worse car. Now Alpine will likely replace Fernando Alonso with their reserve and development driver, Oscar Piastri. Piastri? Piastri? I'm going to say Piastri. Uh, he just last year won the Formula 2 world title. He's a good, exciting driver that people are expecting to race in Formula 1 regardless next year, whether um, Fernando Alonso left or not. People thought Oscar Piastri was going to go to either Williams or maybe McLaren if Daniel Ricciardo got booted. 
Um, so now they're going to have a good, young, exciting driver in Alpine. Good for them. But it's a shame. Like, there was a moment where, you know, Max Verstappen had to pass Fernando Alonso in Hungary. And I was like, of all the people you could be in a position to have to pass, Fernando Alonso might be the person I would want to have to pass the least in Formula 1, frankly. Fernando Alonso or Lewis Hamilton. Both, I wouldn't want to pass either of them. Or, or be passed with the, you know, the need to pass them. Because that sounds horrible. They're just so good at parking the car right in the middle of the track and, you know, getting, just not allowing you to get around them and really good at defensive driving. I'm a huge fan of Fernando Alonso. I'm, I'm disappointed he's going to a team that's probably not going to be as competitive next year. Um, but he seems like he's happy with the move. Good for him. And I wish him nothing but the best. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. I will talk to you soon. And, uh, Thanks for listening to Strong Opinion Sports. Have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.